back in Siberia where I grew up, I never thought when I when even I became a Christian, I never thought I would ever have my own Russian Bible. We used handwritten copies. We, even in the 80s, we had the Bible dictation program. Today on First Person, you'll hear firsthand the story of a Christian broadcaster who started life in Siberia where his parents were exiled. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to listen now as we talk with Rudy Veens on today's edition of First Person. Before we begin the conversation, though, please visit our website where you can learn more about our guest and the ministry where he serves Christ, the Far East Broadcasting Company. At firstpersoninterview.com, you'll find information on links, an audio archive where today's program and all previous programs are stored, and a schedule of upcoming guests. Once again, firstpersoninterview.com. One more thing, this program is available on iTunes as a podcast, and you can subscribe free of charge using your favorite player or mobile app. Today's guest, Rudy Veens, is a much-loved and respected Christian broadcaster in many parts of the world. He serves Christ both on the air and behind the scenes, helping to build radio stations for FEBC in out-of-the-way countries where the gospel is proclaimed. But Rudy has a very interesting life story, and that's what I want you to hear today. Well, I like to start with uh, a place where it's very cold, which is North Asia, called Siberia. That's where I grew up. So it was really cold in the wintertime. I remember minus um, about 70 Fahrenheit. And this is during uh, the Soviet era. That was So we are uh, talking about the, Siberia, Siberia, right? That's exactly. <laughs> in the 60s, basically, when I, where my childhood was in yeah. Siberia. Uh, and that's where I first actually listened to FEBC's broadcast from the Philippines in the Russian language. On shortwave. It was, it was incredible because it was, so, there was so much jamming and sometimes you couldn't make a sense out of it. But just the knowledge that there was a Christian broadcast in the Russian language was such an excitement to us. So was yours a, a Christian home that you would tune into FEBC? Yes, I had the privilege to grow up in a Christian family. So my parents, both my parents, they were exiled from the Ukraine to Urals uh, during the wartime. They For were teenagers. Because they had a Germanic background. So my ethnic background is more from Netherlands, Dutch, you know, the Mennonite mm-hmm. uh, kind of movement that settled in South Ukraine. And so... That's why they were. My dad was 15. My mom also around that age. So when the war started, broke out, and so they were just shifted off to Ural to the so-called labor army. Yeah. So so they had no choice in the matter whatsoever. No, it was like an exile. Actually, as a matter of fact, they they were in under that kind of agreement there in that city of Orsk uh, until 57. Only in 57, really? already several years after Stalin passed away. So they were free to move within the Soviet Union. They could go anywhere except back to the home place. Okay. So they All could right. not go back to Ukraine. Okay. So that's when they made a move to uh, to Siberia. <laughs> that was from Ural to Siberia. That was their own choice. Was it literally a, a labor camp kind of situation? No, it was. A, they called it army camp. Uh, so that they they worked they worked simply they lived in a city they 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 married there you know during okay, that time okay so they after lived the in, a, in an apartment yes in an apartment worked but they could not leave the city my goodness so, and that was and there were millions of people like that hmm. so the Germanic people you know that had any German roots or the Chechnya people for example they were also exiled you know that was a that was a kind uh, how Stalin actually. Um, kept, uh, you know, f- from gathering people, uh, ethnic people groups gathering in, together and mm-hmm. 
causing problems. Do you mind telling me what year you were born, Rudy? 54. 54, okay. Well, you're younger than I am, so <laughs> I guess you don't mind telling me that, no, do no, you? No. So, so you were pretty young then when they, when they left. That's right. I was three, four years old, I think three, three and a half. Do you I have believe. any memory at all of, of being in that place? Uh, I visited later, so I don't really. You know, I have been in Orsk in that city later on, and so there's a church. Uh, I visited that church, and so, of course, they used to listen to me, you know, on uh-huh. a regular basis, many of them. And um, so I have been there even during the Soviet time, uh, visiting there when, in my youth. But basically my childhood uh, from the age of 3 to 16 was in West Siberia, in Omsk. Okay. So your parents were believers and you grew up in that, that kind of environment in the home. Was that a risk for your parents? Yes, that was, uh, that was a risk. My, one of my aunts spent two years in prison for in the 60s and actually early 70s for sharing Christmas stories to kids mm. in the village, you know. So, of course, that didn't happen to everyone who mm-hmm. did it. Mm-hmm. We did many other things, you know. Yeah. So we organized youth rallies and right. so on, and we got away. But uh, it always depended on the local officials and so on. So, can I ask? Did they single her out to make an example of her, or how did that? How they were so selective in who was arrested and who wasn't, right? Very often, it was it depended on some local officials. So, if some really got so angry about against Christianity, and so they actually pushed the officials to imprison I people. I see. Okay. So, it is. Uh, persecution in general is not was not black and white like mm-hmm. everybody who does that will get end up mm-hmm. in prison no no it was very selective yeah and but what but that created a fear I would imagine right of course in uh, and, and then the Russians the Slavic people are very interesting people uh, you have been there you know that mm-hmm. right so they like to say the right hand does know what the left does. <laughs> so among the officials, among the KGB agents, there were many people who did great favors to Christians because in, generally, in general, they liked them. They liked them as people, as neighbors. They actually admired them. Really? I remember during my military service in the Soviet army, I was a terrible soldier. I was a Christian. They promised me actually five to seven years prison. You were conscripted. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so I didn't agree. You know, I was quite open, open about my face. And so, and I remember one officer, especially who tried to brainwash me, basically. He, that was his duty. He had to do that. And he said, um, uh, you know, Camerad Wiens, that's how they, how I was called there, you know, so, Comrade, um, yeah. yeah, so I said, I, I think I know why you're so stubbornly faithful to your God. I said, well, how comes? We trained you. And I said, how, how did you do that? Well, you know, we made you think. I said, thank you. I think I agree with you. <laughs> that's true. And the persecution, you know, so the, those people who really try to challenge you ideologically and so on, they make you think. And I remember looking back through my childhood, through my first grade in school, where you had to become an October child, you know, so like uh, with the Lenin's uh, symbol. Is that like the pioneers? Was that? The pioneers is the second one, like okay. in the third grade, you get a pioneer kid with a, with a tie, you yeah, know, a red, red tie, scarf. Uh-huh. scarf. But uh, in the first grade, you get an October child from the October Revolution, you know, with a little pin, with Lenin's head. So that's the first kind of league. And then the pioneer, and then comes Komsomol, the youth league, and then the Communist Party. Yeah. 
So you were always out of step with all that as a believer, right? Yeah, I, I even in the first grade, six, seven years old, I didn't, I, I did not accept not become an October child, and so the teacher was saying, "Well, are you pants brainwashing you, you know, and so on, and saying you shouldn't do that?" Uh, and as a boy, can you imagine a seven years old boy? So I said, "Well, no, you are saying the other things, you know." So my parents, yeah, they believe in God. They don't. They cannot afford to tell me what to do and what not to do. They will get in trouble. And so, no, I, I personally. So, do I have to? Well, you should want to. They told me. Well, well, I don't want to. So, so what do you do? So actually, they didn't. They didn't. They couldn't push me to to become an October child. So, but that really, that trained me to think on my own, even from my childhood. And I remember thinking about that. Uh, who's right? Are my parents really stupid to believe in the existence of God or not? Or are the teachers, you know, very decent teachers? So basically, they made me think and to reason about it. And to, in my teenage age, I really... I didn't have a doubt that there's a God. So somehow that was the testimony of my parents, you know, and some of their friends was so powerful that I didn't doubt about it. You've got to look back on that and thank God for that, really. Of course. I mean, it's an amazing thing to be pushed on matters of faith as a small child the way that you were pushed. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's definitely, so I I told this officer, I said, thank you. Actually, I I think you really have helped helped me to find the truth I believe in, which is God. Mm-hmm. So you left uh, Siberia as a small child. Where did you go? Well, uh, Siberia, I didn't leave as a small child. I was already 16 years old, okay. 17. Okay. Then we moved to Estonia. But you, your, your parents moved from the, uh, the, from, from from the, the labor camp. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was in the Ural area. So okay. actually the border, Asia and Europe. So oh, I, I actually still didn't, don't know if I was born in Asia or Europe, <laughs> uh, right? on which side of the river, Ural River. <laughs> which, again, foretells your story because, uh, you know, you Christ uses you in so many different places throughout uh, Asia and Eurasia. It's amazing. We'll get to that part of the story later. Later, but so you went where when you were sixteen? To Estonia, which is next to Finland. Uh-huh. You know, so it was still under Soviet Union. Now, of course, it's a part of the Western yeah. Europe. It was part of the, of the Soviet U- Union, but it was a different culture in a way, wasn't it? Very different. So Estonian language is actually a unique group. It's a Finno-Uyghur language group. It's a Finns, the Estonian, and the Hungarian. It's not a European language. So. Um, so they, the Estonians always hated Moscow's guts, you know, in that sense. So they never liked Moscow. So it was always, the Estonian people, they were always anti-Russian, almost nationalistic, you know, in that mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So, so, but again, we moved there. Uh, my relatives, some of my relatives had relatives in Germany. So it was a, there was a Helsinki agreement, you know, later in 72. And so they, some people were, aim, were able to immigrate to Western Europe. And that was basically the goal for moving from Siberia to Estonia. They closed that. So the Soviets, um, year after we moved there, you know, so no, no people f- of German background, you know, could move to the Baltic countries or the republics anymore. So we made it. There's more to Rudy Veen's story, and we'll hear about what God is doing in Central Asia next on First Person. First Person is produced with the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC is actively proclaiming the gospel through radio and new media in over 100 languages in nearly 50 countries. Please visit the website febc.org 
Ask about the devotional, How Shall They Hear? Combining scripture with powerful stories of changed lives through the broadcast of FEBC. Once again, online at febc.org. My guest on First Person today is Rudy Veens. Rudy is with the Far East Broadcasting Company. One of my favorite ministries, by the way, Rudy, you know that. And uh, it's just so fascinating to me the way that God uh, prepared you in life for what you do now to establish radio stations in many parts of, uh, of the former Soviet Union. Actually, we'll get to that part of the story. But when you look back on where you were born and the, the, the Christian legacy of your family and how God prepared you, it must be an amazing experience for you. I think that if we would schedule that today, it would be so expensive just to get that training. It would be impossible, basically, to, to raise those funds to, to give me that training that right. I got free of charge yeah. with some difficulties yeah. Yeah. Along, along the way, but uh, they all were part of training. Yeah. And that's amazing how God uses, uses difficulties to train us for a ministry that he has for us. So you made your way to Moscow. Um, where did, where did radio come in? I know you listened to FEBC as a child, you said, but where did radio and the thought of working in radio come into your life? Well, when we immigrated to Germany, and that was mid-70s, I was already 21 years old, so listened to radio and participated. Was very Back in Soviet Union, was very heavily involved in youth ministry and outreach and doing rallies and so gospel crusades and so on. So we did crazy things. We... Basically, in living in Soviet Union, I thought I will live up to the age of fifty. That mm. was for some it's reason life expectancy. That was yeah. that I counted probably by God's grace. I will have fifty years of life, which is great, and I probably will end up um, three times in prison, like because of your faith, coming in and out, yeah. going out, yeah. being busy again, you know, and so on. So that was that was what we were looking forward to. Mm. So now here here comes West Germany. You know, we end up in near Bonn and Siegburg, Bonn, Cologne. You know, so so there we meet um, all the senior Russian broadcasters we used to listen to, and one of them was Jack Kozil. You know, mm-hmm. so my my predecessor was FEBC, and so the senior broadcaster who we used to listen to, he comes and visit us, and it was still a refugee camp. And so he was that, so he talks and he, you know, comes and I knew him from the voice, you know, so Yakov Fedorovich. And so he says, well, Rudy, you are the young blood, Russian-speaking blood, you know, we are all post-war generation, you know, or pre-war generation, you mm-hmm. know, in that sense. So you have to come and reach out to the young people of the Soviet Union. If you don't, hey, I am not responsible I don't know how God will punish you. <laughs> oh, so that no. was a kind of calling I got into the ministry to answer your question. <laughs> Do this or else. <laughs> so that's right. So so okay. In that time, we we participated. We did. We didn't have much uh, music, uh, much of Christian music library, or they didn't have much of it. So we did some recording of songs, you know, Christian songs. And Russian, uh, and so and then I start. She recorded a few testimonies, and so, so that was my beginning. You know, okay. without any any training or anything. So you recorded programs. Where were they transmitted from? They were transmitted from like Jack transmitted them from Philip Philippines from the oh, okay. Philippines. All right, but also 
there was Monaco and Mon- the Transport Radio. They used it, mm-hmm. so so it, it was it was all one family, so to say. And to, to make the story short, uh, after praying about it, um, I still decided to go to Bible college, Bible school in Germany. So I went to Bible uh, Bible school for three years. I first had to study German, but then uh, to make the story short, so in January of '82 we joined FEBC right. and started to prepare programs. I did uh, additional studies here at Biola University at the School of Intercultural Studies, and and then f- special years were from '86 through '90 on Saipan. The shortwave mm-hmm. broadcast shortwave station, yeah. Uh, the shortwave station, very there. powerful transmitter. Not, exactly. not on the air any longer, but that's right. And so I really think that those '80s, the second part of the '80s from Saipan, God used it in such a mighty way. So we received uh, letters, like the censorship came down later on in the Soviet, you know, in Russia. I was told that in '87 they stopped censoring the. The letters, uh, the, okay. the writing. So they began easing up. Easing up, yeah. that's right. And so and also stopped jamming. Oh, okay. And so in 87, and that's another story I could tell you. But uh, so they, they stopped that, and so we started to receive letters, a thousand a day and more. So there were letters from all the corners of the Soviet Union. So you, you didn't know how many people or who was listening by faith, you were putting these programs out there and probably getting a little feedback. Yes, we, we knew that the Christians listened, you know, so the scattered Christians, you know, and so on, they knew about the shortwave broadcast. But then the dam burst. That's right. And then then suddenly the from the non-church people, you know, so they also, many listened, we knew that, you know, from the scarce letters, from the stories we got through from, from friends, Christian listeners, you know, and so on. But in the late 80s, uh, suddenly it really... Uh, erupted, you know, so people from all over, you know, wrote. uh, wrote. And of course, I would say 90% of all the letters had a begging or request for a Bible. People hadn't seen a New Testament or a piece of a Bible. And, And again, like, I know how dear it is. Back in Siberia where I grew up, I never thought when I, when even I became a Christian, I never thought I would ever have my own Russian Bible. We used handwritten copies. They were at that time. We even had a even in the 80s. We had a Bible dictation program where we dictated the Bible so in in a, in a speed that people could write it down. So well, I know there's so much more to your story, and uh, it's it's just so fun to see how God prepares and leads people, takes them through difficulties to 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 uh, put them in the place where He wants them, and, and your life is certainly like that. I want to know how God is using you today because you're still involved in the countries of the former Soviet Union throughout Eurasia, helping to start radio stations, as I understand it. Is that right? Yes, that's, that's correct. And, uh, and I really uh, thanking God, thanking God for, for the privilege he has given me in throughout the last 34 years now with FEBC. And, of course, the 80s was filled with daily broadcast I did, you know, from mm-hmm. Saipan. So, then so the you're 90s, an experienced programmer. That's right. Yeah. And so... Basically, throughout the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, you know, everywhere, every city, every town where they were believers, they knew me. And so now, but uh, I don't think, I didn't think that that was God's calling, you know. As soon as Russia opens up, we have to go inside, and that's what we started. Right early after Perestroika, you know, so ninety in the early 90s, we started to look into setting the ministry up 
inside the country because that's where people live. That's where there where there where there are lots of believers as well who can share their testimony. And that's how we went in and we got incorporated in the far east of Russia in Khabarovsk in in February ninety two. That was as early. That was early, yeah. And we got as a Christian radio organizations, we got incorporated. There were no private radio organizations, period. It's a long story, but to make the story short, when we got incorporated through Miracle and so on, so we're looking for a place to broadcast from. So we thought we have one to have local in interactive radio live talk shows <laughs> in Russia you know and and, and that in the early of. 90s yeah unheard of that was not that was not even in the secular world yet <laughs> you know kind of popular we found a place in the city and so we found in a downtown so there were towers so we just drove around you know and found that place so we knocked on the door and so on what had happened to be that used to be the jamming place the oh, jamming station is that right so we met uh, the chief engineer there and so on. He said, yeah, 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 I know you guys. So I know, I know also Saipan. We used to jam them until 87. <laughs> but he said, we don't have transmitters here, broadcast transmitters. We have just transmitters who made noise, you know, but they are out of work now. And I don't know what to do. So the country doesn't know what to do, you know. So, hey, you know, let let me think, let's meet next day, you know, and so on. So we met again, and so on. He offered us to modulate, you know, kind of restructure the transmitters and uh, create um, an AM station. It was a wild year, so So wild 90s. Help me understand, the the same transmitters that were once used to jam the radio stations that you were putting Christian programs on. We, that's what we you used for. You repositioned those transmitters to broadcast the God. For a couple of years, we did that. It's amazing. I'm out of time, but you got to tell me just some of the countries where you were presently working to establish radio stations. Well, in uh, the uh, last few years, I'm working in Central Asia. That's another part of the world, uh, Central Asia, all those stans, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan. There are five that used to be a part of the Soviet Union. There are two more stans, like Pakistan, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Stan means settlement, mm-hmm. you know, land off. Because of the Islamic impact or influence and the extremists like in Afghanistan, Pakistan, and so on. So the Kazakh people and the Kyrgyz people, now they want to get away with Istan. But FEBC has radio stations in these we places. We have, and in Kazakhstan, we still broadcast only, use only the internet wave, you know, and so on. But in Kyrgyzstan, we, we obtained an FM station, an existing FM station in the capital, in Bishkek, and it's going so well. We, we broadcast it over two years now. We actually now are hoping to get a relay station uh, in the in another area of Kyrgyzstan. So it's amazing. It's a traditionally Muslim country, but open for the gospel. I love to hear what God is doing through both the Far East Broadcasting Company and through the life of Rudy Veens, our guest today. What a treat to get to hear Rudy's story. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry of the Far East Broadcasting Company, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and follow the links provided. I wish we had more time today to talk about what God is doing through FEBC in the countries of Central Asia through Rudy and many others, but go to firstpersoninterview.com to learn more. And then if you'd like to comment on today's interview, please use our page on Facebook, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Click on like and then leave your comment, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. 
Next week, we'll talk with Christian apologist Lee Strobel about his new book, The Case for Grace. A journalist explores the evidence of transformed lives. I hope you'll join us. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard, looking forward to having you back next week for First Person. 